This show is brought to you by the SQPN store at store.sqpn.com. Buy featured articles at great prices or shop at Amazon via the link on our website and a portion of your purchase will help support SQPN. Today's pick, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Get them at store.sqpn.com. SQPN presents The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. The battle for Middle-earth is about to begin. Where do you travel to find Middle-earth? How can you fight the shadows of Angmar? Created the dwarves. I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. Why are elves immortal? You will linger on in darkness and in doubt. It's nightfall in winter that comes without a star. What is the ultimate evil of Sauron? Join me on a quest for answers through the books, the movies, and the games that tell us the legendary adventures of hobbits, dwarves, men, and elves in Tolkien's Middle-earth. Welcome to a new episode of The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. I'm Father Roderick, the host of this show, and we are back in Middle-earth. As you can hear, I'm riding a horse. I'm currently traveling through a very snowy, cold landscape. It's very cold, and I'm on top of a hill, riding through the remains of what looks like an old elvish settlement. It's abandoned now. The path that I follow with my horse turns around a corner here and then it goes down into the valley. And from this point I can overlook the whole valley. It's, it's all covered in a thick pack of snow. And as far as I can see on the horizon you can see these very tall bluish mountains. And these mountain ranges have given their name to this area. It's the area of Eret Luin, or the Blue Mountains. And here below, in the distance, is where the dwarves live. So let's go and find out what this world of the dwarves is all about. On my left and on my right side pine trees also covered in snow I can see some wolves in the distance and snow lynxes and I'm currently approaching a dwarf settlement here is a square let me get off my horse here So in the middle of this valley is a, is a square and some dwarf structures, some houses and some buildings on the left side of it. And I can see some dwarves, you see some guardians. 
They're probably protecting the settlement against uh, wolves. And here is a dwarf called Holly Shimmershield. Welcome! You have come at a most fortuitous time. Well, thank you. That is very kind of you. These dwarves are, uh, are a bit rough in their manners, but uh, at the same time, they seem to be friendly. Now, in the distance here, on the right side of this square is a huge, huge stairwell. And these light brown stairs go all the way up to uh, an incredibly impressive dark gray structure building that is built against or almost inside the, um, the, the side of the mountain. And let's walk up these stairs. Now on the left and on the right side of these stairs you can see statues of dwarves. Let me walk up to uh, one of those statues. It's incredibly cold here. So this, uh, this statue of, of, of a dwarf shows a dwarf with um, what looks like a helmet, but it also looks like a crown. And he's pointing into the distance. And if I count, I can see one, two, three, four, five, six statues of dwarves next to these uh, stairs. You know, these are probably the six dwarf kings of Durin's folk. That's the name of the dwarves that live here right now. Durin's folk is, I think, the most important group of dwarves. They were also called the Longbeards. <laughs> probably because they have long beards. And their first king was called Durin the Deathless. Now, these dwarves were ruled by six kings in succession, and they were all named Durin. They were all father and sons. And that progression of dwarf kings went all the way to Durin the Sixth, and he was killed by the Balrog that they awakened when they were digging too deep into the ground. And that's the Balrog that we know from the Lord of the Rings. It's that very same Balrog that killed uh, King Durin the Sixth. By the way, the dwarves that currently live here in Eridluin, in the Blue Mountains, didn't originally come from this area. The dwarves actually lived much, lived much further to the east in the Misty Mountains. And in the Misty Mountains, it's even colder and more dangerous. Now, we might travel there in the future, but it's a very long and dangerous journey. Let's uh, go up the stairs. Two watchers standing guard here at the top of the stairs. And here's another square in front of this incredible building here. It's actually not really a castle or, or something that is meant for, for housing. It looks more like a, a gate. It's an entrance. And in the middle of this dark gray structure, there is an enormous door a bronze and metal door and engraved in the door in the metal are silhouettes of mountains very tall mountains covered in snow you can see that everything that the dwarves built here their whole architecture is extremely sturdy and robust and, and of course 
that's that's part of the dwarf culture but it's also because of the very hostile environment in which the dwarves live here you need to have strong buildings to withstand the uh, the cold and you know the the attack of the elements and of course you also need uh, to have pretty good defenses against the wild animals it's it's very dangerous as soon as you go uh, away from the path uh, you will likely encounter uh, all sorts of wild beasts and even monsters and it's rumored that there are even giants in this area but i um <clears throat> i won't go there right now so one of the dwarves told me that this this door this gate that i am standing in front of is called Thorin's Gate and I think it's very interesting that this gate is called after Thorin because which Thorin are we actually talking about? It can't be Thorin I. Thorin I was one of the successors to the Durin kings but he never lived here in Ered Luin. When he was king of the Longbeards he lived in Ered Mithrin also called the Grey Mountains. And it was only much later that these dwarves migrated to the Blue Mountains. So the Thorin that built this gate must be, I think, Thorin Oakenshield. And we all know Thorin Oakenshield. He was the one who gathered the group of 12 dwarves that hired Bilbo Baggins to travel to the Lonely Mountain and defeat Smog, the dragon. So I think that it's Thorin Oakenshield who built this gate. Now I wonder if I can go inside. Let's try to open this door. All right, let's go inside. The big metal doors have closed behind me and I am currently standing in a gigantic hall. And there is a beam of light all the way from the ceiling there must be a hole in the ceiling and that beam of light is illuminating an immense statue right in the center of this gigantic hall let me walk up to it it's again a statue of a dwarf and uh, he is carrying his and pointing in the distance as if he is pointing at an enemy uh, and ready to attack it or perhaps um, what he carries could also be used for mining and, and so perhaps he spotted a treasure because that is actually what dwarves do they they dig in the on the inside of mountains to to find treasure to find gold to find precious metal mithril and all sorts of other treasures hidden in the rocks of the mountains. There are a couple of uh, dwarves standing in front of uh, of this statue of, I think it must be Thorin again. Let's see, this is Guard Captain Unar. Hear me out, traveler! <laughs> I would love to, but I am on a tour here of uh, this uh, this big hall and this inner structure, so I don't have time. I might come back later. The hall is lit by um, by huge fires in um, in metal structures. 
I can see... Besides dwarves, also humans and even elves walking around here. And um, the dwarves have always been in contact with uh, elves and humans and hobbits because they're so focused on mining that they don't really care about uh, growing food or, you know, making clothes and, and that, that sort of stuff. They leave that to other, uh, to, to other races like uh, the hobbits or the man. And what they will do is to trade precious metals for, uh, you know, trade it for food. So here is actually a little trade area. There's a table here. There's a, a dwarf standing here. And on the table you can see uh, uh, various... Uh, Materials, uh, some weapons. There is a looks like a, a box, probably full of treasure, and some food. And, and you can see some some hobbits trading stuff over here. So that's how these dwarves uh, get their food and get the the other stuff that they need. Now let's walk to the other side of this gigantic hall and. I must say, it's, it's very impressive. It's almost, it almost feels like a huge cathedral when you're inside here. Um, it's very sparsely decorated. Only a few flags and banners. Probably banners of the, uh, the various dwarf tribes that live here. Here is a, a vault. Two more watchers standing here. And here's another area with some dwarves. What are they doing? They're sitting at tables and it uh, looks like they're writing. Oh, I see what they're doing. They're <laughs> doing their accounting. There's money on the table, uh, gold pieces and uh, some other treasure. And what they're doing is uh, these guys are probably uh, bankers. So they're counting their money and keeping track of, uh, of all the trade that's going on in here. Now, one of the questions <clears throat> that I uh, that I ask myself is where do dwarves actually come from? What's their origin? And I will tell you about that. Uh, but let's first go behind this huge statue of Thorin to what looks like uh, another hallway, just as high as the main hall. And there's some more people here. What's this? Here's some uh, <laughs> some dwarf playing music. Um, here's another weaponsmith. You can uh, buy uh, all sorts of swords here. Dwarves are uh, have a very good reputation as far as crafting is concerned. They are masters in in crafting weapons. Now here on the left side is a staircase that goes down into what looks like a mine. Stairs here. This is definitely a mine. There's some water source pouring out of the right side of the of the walls of this mine. <laughs> Here's a, a dwarf that fell asleep. He's uh, <laughs> he's a laborer, but he's fast asleep. Interesting, here's another one who's, who's sleeping instead of working. I am now really at the bottom of this of this mine and let's see. Oh here's here's actually a dwarf who's working. 
he's uh, digging into the ground, probably searching for gold. So, whoa, what was that? <laughs> that was funny. The dwarf that was sleeping, there was another dwarf that uh, walked by and <laughs> poked him in the side and he, he's, he's startled. <laughs> he woke up. <laughs> oh man, that's too funny. So, <clears throat> this is actually where the dwarves are most at ease. You know, deep hidden inside the mountain, working, trying to find gold. Here on the right side of the uh, mine, the dwarves have actually carved out another small hallway. And uh, there's, a, there's a nice cozy fire here. Keeping the area warm and... On the sides of this room you can see lots of what looks like wine crates. So this is probably where they, they keep their alcohol to, uh, to keep warm in this terrible weather outside. So where do these dwarves come from? Let's, uh, let's sit down here at the table and let me tell you about that. In Tolkien's universe, all the races, so the hobbits, humans, the elves, and the dwarves are created by one single creator, by one god. And that god is called Eru Iluvatar. That's how the elves call him. Um, literally, Eru means the one, and Iluvatar means father of all. He is literally the father of everything that lives here in Middle-earth. And before um, Iluvatar created the elves and the men and the hobbits. Uh, the first creations of Iluvatar were spirits. Spirits that would act as his direct representatives. These spirits were called the Holy Ones or Ainur. And after the creation of the universe and the earth, these Ainur were asked to further shape and govern the world. Now the Ainur are very similar to angels in the Catholic faith. Tolkien, being a devout Catholic, even made a distinction between greater Ainur, called the Valar, which means forces, and the lesser Ainur, called the Maiar. Similar, very similar to the distinction between archangels and angels. And there's another similarity between the Catholic view on angels and Tolkien's Ainur, these holy spirits. In the Bible and in the Christian tradition, the devil, or Satan, is never placed on the same level as God. The devil is actually nothing more than an angel that chose to turn away from God. And Tolkien's world also has its fallen angel. It's Melkor, one of the Ainur. And after his corruption, after his fall, he's called Morgoth. And Morgoth means literally the black enemy. Now I'll tell you more about Iluvatar and his creation in another episode of The Secrets of uh, the Lord of the Rings, but let's get back to the dwarves. The interesting thing is that the dwarves were not created by Iluvatar. According to Tolkien, the dwarves were the result of an illegal action by one of the greater Ainur, who was a little bit too impatient. Now I'm getting a little bit impatient. <laughs> I don't want to sit here all day long. Let's go upstairs again and uh, explore Thorin's Hall a little bit more. 
it's very dark in this mine, but on top of this uh, of this alley, you can see uh, more fires. And here's a regular staircase that will bring me back into uh, the big hallway in the center of this huge structure. There we are. Now, what I want to find is the area where the dwarves actually um, make their weapons. Wow, what is this? This is a like a big underground lake and there's a waterfall pouring water in this almost white bluish lake. Ice cold water. <laughs> I will not jump in there. So, I'm really curious to find out where I can find the uh, the crafting area of the dwarves. Wow, even more water here. Wait a second. I climbed on a on a higher level and now on some kind of a bridge. Whoa! It's actually a, a bridge between two parts of the underground building. And the waterfall is just on here on my right side. And sitting on the bridge are two dwarves and they're fishing. I'm not kidding you. They are really fishing here. <laughs> this is uh, apparently not the area where I can find their, uh, their crafting... Uh, Uh, let's go back down the stairs. I should actually ask one of these dwarves if he knows where to go. Let's see. <laughs> Some dwarves are uh, fighting each other with... Uh, <laughs> with wooden shields and I think fake weapons. They're probably training. By the way, talking about wooden shields, um, Thorin, the one who built this hall, did you know that uh, he was called Oakenshield for a very specific reason? At one point, when he was still uh, you know, living in another area, he got involved into a very dangerous and bloody battle. And uh, uh, he, the dwarves... Uh, suffered many many losses. I think even his brother was killed during that battle and um, And Thorin was extremely fierce even though he was uh, 54 years old. He was extremely strong and At one point the enemy broke his regular shield So he took an oak branch and used that as a shield to defend himself against the relentless attacks of the uh, of the enemy and that was how he was able to survive and to uh, to withstand the, the swords and the, the axes of the enemy. And, and, and ever since that battle, he was called uh, Thorin Oakenshield because he used an oaken branch to defend himself. Now I can see that there's another big hallway on the opposite side of this hall. Perhaps that's where the dwarves make their swords and weapons. Let's see, here's another staircase. This is called the Maker's Hall. 
dwarves are walking around here. Here's a... Um, <laughs> this looks like a kitchen. There's a fire burning here. And this is probably where uh, the dwarves prepare their food. And dwarves really need food. <laughs> if you want to withstand the cold outside, you'd better uh, make sure that you have some fat layers <laughs> to protect you against the cold. Oh, this is what I was searching for. Here is the big forging hall. And uh, this whole hall is is illuminated by uh, what looks like magma in the center of this hall. And it, it lends the whole the whole area a reddish glow. And here are some huge forges and you can hear the blacksmith here. He is actually working on a weapon and then pushing it into this, uh, this forge. Uh, and again, this forge too is filled with magma. I think it's, um, it's because this, this hall is so deep underground and these dwarves have dug so deep that uh, they actually uh, uh, went straight to the molten core of the earth. Unbelievable. So, I want to go back to my story about uh, the creation of the dwarves. So you had these Ainur, these, these spirits that were created by Iluvatar. And in the time that uh, they were uh, forging and shaping uh, the world, uh, the Valar, which was the strong part of the, uh, of the Ainur, uh, were waiting for the time that when Iluvatar would create his children. And his children would be the elves. That was the plan of Iluvatar, to create the elves as his firstborn children. However, one of the Valar, called uh, Aule, couldn't wait for the fulfillment of Iluvatar's plan. He was too impatient. And in secret, he created the seven fathers of the dwarves so that he would be able to teach them his knowledge. So in secret, Aule created first Durin, the eldest of the seven dwarves, and then six more dwarves. And in a letter, Tolkien also tells us that Aule created six mates for these other six dwarves. So 13 dwarves in total. And in a way, these newly created uh, pupils resembled their master. In which way? Well, all the Ainur, all these spirits, had specific tasks assigned to them. And Aule was given lordship over the physical matter of which the world is made. And he was therefore called the smith, because he was the master of all the crafts also that shaped the world. So that is the core reason why the dwarves are so focused on mining, and why they are so fascinated by the material treasures that can be found deep inside mountains and under the ground. It's not just superficial greed. I think it's a deeply rooted love for the beauty of the physical matter that composes the world. They inherited that from their maker, Aule. However, when Aule created these seven dwarves in secret, Melkor had already become Morgoth, the dark enemy. And Morgoth was spreading his corruption in the world. And because of that threat, Aule made sure that his dwarves would be exceptionally strong and very resistant to any form of domination. Aule didn't want his dwarves to become dominated by Morgoth. So that is the main reason why 
all these dwarves have this attitude, this ego. It's not a character flaw. It was actually a strength that was on purpose so that they could withstand the, uh, the seduction of the power of Morgoth. You know, let's uh, move further and walk away from this uh, very hot place. This is definitely extremely hot with uh, the heat of these uh, of all this magma here. Let's walk up the stairs. Let's go to the main hall again where it's, uh, where it's a lot cooler. Let's see, this is a <laughs> kind of tricky to find your way. It's almost a maze here. I guess it for uh, for dwarves isn't it isn't that uh, that difficult because they're so used to navigating deep mines, so they must have a very good memory for uh, for all these corridors. But for a, a newbie like me, it's uh, it's kind of confusing. Here we go. I think uh, I have to walk up these stairs. You know, even though the the architecture of the dwarves is very robust, very uh, solid looking. It still has an elegance just because it, it's massive scale. I mean, these halls are so big. And it's, uh, it's very similar to the awe that you have when you walk into a big church or a big cathedral. Or even sometimes a big railway station. You know, these... Oh, what was that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think that's uh, one of these rangers here. And he was conjuring up... Um, uh, an animal that is traveling with him as a companion and also as a um, to defend him in battle. And I think the sound that you heard was the animal appearing, actually. Now let me walk back to this big bronze metal door. Let's go outside again. We've been inside for way too long. I'm not a dwarf, so I get kind of claustrophobic. <laughs> So we're back in the snow outside. It is uh, dusk, actually. Soon, I think, night will fall, and then this area will probably become a lot more dangerous. Let me uh, get back on my horse again, and let's, uh, let's explore the area here. It's so great to have a horse finally here in Middle-earth. It makes traveling these huge distances so much easier. So, while we're um, moving to other parts of this uh, dwarven area, let's continue our discussion about the creation of the dwarves. So, um, the dwarves were created in secret, illegally, and uh, they were made exceptionally strong and also a little bit stubborn because of the threat of Morgoth. Now, this raises, I think, a very interesting theological question. Wouldn't the fact that Aule, the smith, was able to create these dwarves make him in some way equal to Iru Iluvatar, to the god creator? After all, he created these dwarves stop here. I, uh, I rode my horse all the way up to another mountain. There's some cave claws, nasty beasts walking around here. Fortunately, they are afraid of me. <laughs> wow. And down in the distance in the valley, I can see a, a frozen river that leads to uh, a frozen lake 
on uh, on the bottom of uh, of Thorin's Gate. This is a nice place to continue our conversation. So, so is um, Aule not himself also uh, almost like a god, like a creator? Um, however, in Tolkien's world, Aule is the equivalent of an archangel, and Iluvatar is god, and only god is the creator of souls, of life. So the question, the main question is, did these first dwarves have souls? The interesting thing is that Tolkien remains very consistent. Aule had never the authority or the power to create other souls. So the results of his efforts was actually a group of dwarves that were more like puppets. They were directly obeying every command from Aule, but they were not really alive. They could act only when Aule's thought was on them. So what happened next? Of course, it was foolish of Aule to think that he could hide his actions from Eru Iluvatar. And after Iluvatar discovered that Aule had created these dwarves, he asked him why Aule tried to exceed his power and authority by attempting to make new life. And Aule repented. He was uh, fortunately not as evil as uh, Morgoth. And he admitted that the drive to create was actually kindled in him by Iluvatar himself. And that the reason of his impatience was that he was wishing so dearly for other beings to love and to teach. With whom to share in the beauty of, of the world that Iluvatar created. And that is why he created dwarves. He just wanted to share his knowledge and his admiration for this wonderful world with pupils. So, <clears throat> let's move on here a little bit. Actually, the path is its not moving on here. It's not going on here, so uh, let's get back. There's only snow here and a <laughs> pretty steep abyss. Ooh, I think that <laughs> my horse just broke his leg. Oh, poor horse. So here's a, a frozen river. But apparently there must be some hot source because it's... Uh, the water is actually uh, flowing here from beneath the frozen river. So I'm currently riding on this frozen river to uh, the east side of this, uh, of this region. So Aule admitted that uh, it was his impatience and perhaps also his desire to love and to have creatures to love that had made him overstep his boundaries. So he humbly submitted his creations, these dwarves, to Iluvatar. Hold on, where am I going now? <laughs> it's kind of hard to focus on the journey and at the same time telling you about this stuff. Hey, what's this? Another building. More dwarves here. Oh, wait a second! I'm back at the uh, at the square where we started off our exploration of Eretluin. Here in the midst of the Blue Mountains. So I'm now traveling east. So Aule knew very well that. Um, Iluvatar was the one and only creator of life and that 
His first children were supposed to be the elves, and not the dwarves. Here is another smaller gate, and this looks like a, a working area. Here is a, a mine foreman, and this is actually the Silver Deep Mine. You can see all sorts of mining instruments. Wait a second, I see an entrance to the mine. Let's go inside. Get off my horse. There is a door here in the side of the mountain. Let's open it and let's uh, explore. This is a very dark mine. Some, some more of these ugly cave claws here. It's very uh, humid in this mine. Here is a wooden door. Almost looks like this region is sometimes uh, barred from the, the rest of the, of the cave of the mine. Probably because there are some nasty creatures living here. Oh, wait a second. This is a nasty creature. A goblin. Ah, I hate these goblins. Fortunately, it wasn't a very uh, strong one. Here's another goblin. Gosh, I'm being attacked by two goblins at the same time. Well, they're no match for me, these evil creatures. And of course, uh, it won't be a surprise that these uh, goblins were not created by Iluvatar either. So, um, Aule handed over his dwarfs to Iluvatar. And uh, he kind of assumed that his dwarves would be destroyed by Iluvatar. But Tolkien tells us how Auli uh, prepared to smite the seven fathers of the dwarves with a great hammer, and he was crying as he did so. But as the dwarves shrank from the blow, and this is still uh, Tolkien that uh, says this, as the dwarves shrank from the blow, Iluvatar stopped Auli's hand. So he couldn't kill the dwarves. And he told Aule that he had accepted his offer and that he would accept the dwarves as his adopted children. And he gave the dwarves the gift of the soul. They were no longer puppets, but real living beings. Let's move on a little bit and enter this, uh, this alley. It's strange. This, it looks like a mine, but you can also see some ancient architectural structures here. This is a, a hallway that goes deep inside the mountain. I wonder where it will lead me. Ugh. Some more of these horrible, nasty goblins. And cave claws, this place is not a safe place. Wow, what's this? There's a huge abyss here, below. It's like a, a, a huge open space, and uh, it's almost as if the floor has crumbled here. This actually looks like... as if it were like a, a dwelling place for dwarves in the past, but that it has caved in. And here is another huge uh, statue of, uh, of a dwarf. Is this a dwarf? Wait a second, this is not a dwarf. <sighs> this looks like a troll or something like that. 
cave troll. But it is petrified. It looks as if you were fighting. And, but he turned into stone. And I think the reason is clear. There's a hole in the ceiling. And a beam of sunlight is streaming right at this, at this cave troll. And that is probably how he got turned into stone. Just like the trolls in, uh, you know, the three uh, ominous trolls that, uh, that uh, Bilbo encountered. So Iluvatar gave the dwarves their souls. However, as it was ordained that the elves were to be the firstborn race, Iluvatar set the dwarves to sleep until after the awakening of the elves. So according to Tolkien, the seven dwarves slept through the ages until the eternally... What's this? Oh, gosh! <laughs> Again being attacked. These goblins are so violent. I know I'm gonna get out of here. This isn't a safe place to tell stories. All right, so, um, <laughs> finally found an alley where there are no goblins. Um, so the, these dwarves were put to sleep, seven dwarves sleeping inside the mountain. And they were, uh, they were meant to be sleeping until the eternally dark skies would be filled by starlight by Varda, the Star Queen. Now, here's a fascinating detail. One of the elvish names for this Star Queen that would awaken the dwarves is Fanuilos. And do you know what the translation of that name is? It means literally Snow White. <laughs> so isn't it interesting how Tolkien turns the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves completely upside down? Not Snow White is the one that sleeps, but the dwarves are, the seven dwarves are sleeping, and now it's Snow White that awakens them. <laughs> Just amazing. Now, Iluvatar told Aule that while both were his children, the creation of the dwarves were, was not in harmony with his original plan, and that as a result, there would be tension and strife between the dwarven race and the elven race in the future. So again, we have another explanation of why dwarves and elves just don't get along. It's not just character incompatibility or the fact that dwarves are just irritating uh, uh, creatures, but it's deeply rooted into the fundamental difference, almost ontological difference between the dwarves and the elves. The elves were the firstborn children of Iluvatar and the dwarves were actually adopted children. And there is, until today, a rivalry between these two races. Although there are, of course, fortunately, some exceptions. I'm gonna leave these eerie mines again and go outside. You know, dwarves might be at ease in these mines, but I really don't like it here. Ah, we're back outside again. 
fresh air. <laughs> I don't mind if it's cold as long as there's fresh air. Evening is falling. It's getting very dark outside here. Fortunately, the dwarves have uh, put fires on the sides of the road so that even uh, travelers like me can find their way to, uh, to Thorin's Gate. Now, there's a lot more to be told about the dwarves, and we might revisit them in the future. I'd love to travel with you to the Misty Mountains, the place where the dwarves originally lived. But um, I hope that you've gained a little bit more knowledge and understanding of this fascinating race in Middle-earth. The dwarves believe that after they die, their spirits will go to uh, the halls that Aule has set aside for them. Their role will be to rebuild the world after the final battle that is yet to come. There is talk about this final mysterious battle at the end of times. And once this battle is over, they will rebuild Earth. So the, their role, the role of the dwarves in the history of Middle-earth is not over yet. But this part of the podcast is over. Let's go take a look at uh, your feedback. And what about very old friends? I received an email from uh, Nicholas, who writes, I've only recently started reading J.R.R. Tolkien's books, and I must say that they are fantastic. I found your podcast on iTunes when I was searching for Lord of the Rings. I listened to all four episodes in one sitting, and I am immensely satisfied by them. I only have one slight issue with your podcast. The wait for new episodes is much too long. I would love to explore the world of J.R.R. Tolkien with you on a more regular basis. Other than that, I give you two thumbs up. Well, thank you, Nicholas. I really appreciate it. And yes, it has been way too long between the last episode and this one. But... As you can tell, um, I have to do a lot of research and a lot of reading before I can do an episode because there's so much to tell and the world that Tolkien created is so complex and so vast. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, I might delve into uh, the books of Tolkien and, uh, and prepare a new episode. And I hope the next one will be a little bit sooner than this one. Then I received an email all the way from Norway, uh, written by Stian. Thank you very much for your podcast, The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. I found your podcast in iTunes, searching for a podcast concerning Tolkien's wonderful universe. I've listened to all four episodes over and over again, and I love your approach to the game and the legacy. So Stian writes, uh, I'm a Lutheran myself, and I enjoy the way in which you draw lines between uh, Tolkien's legacy and Christianity. I think it's very important. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to understand Tolkien's creation and to do its justice without discussing what was one of the most influential factors in his life, namely his faith. I'm writing to uh, encourage you to do more episodes. I'd really love to hear you continue with this because I enjoy it so much. Well, thank you very much for the heads up. 
Hector from Peru writes, Hey, I'm from Peru. Today I listened for the first time to The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings, your podcast about uh, Tolkien's works. As a Tolkien fan and member of the Peruvian Tolkien Society, that you can find at www.tolkienperu.org, I think that your podcast is the best that I listened to until now. I'm not playing Lord of the Rings online myself, but I took my Middle Earth atlas and followed you in your journeys through uh, Middle Earth. I even put a link in my weblog and I tell my friends about your podcast. And then Peter writes, I really enjoyed this podcast so far, Father. I really hope that you will make more episodes. You absolutely have to talk about the prophecy of Glorfindel regarding the witch king of Angmar, Lothlorien, the heart of Elvendom in Middle-earth, the coming of the Istari. There are so many things worth talking about under the heading of the secrets of the Lord of the Rings. Pax Vobiskum Pater. Well, yes, Peter, there are so many topics and subjects that I would love to talk about. And uh, and thank you for these ideas. And I welcome all the listeners to send me ideas on what you would like me to explore here in Middle-earth. I think my horse is getting cold because we've been standing here for so long. Let's walk around a little bit so it can warm up a bit. Oh, you know what? Here's a, here's a fire burning in front of another statue of uh, one of the dwarf kings, uh, so it's a little bit warmer here. Let me move to an email written by uh, Gary, who writes, uh, Hey, Father Roderick, we, which is my family, we love your podcast. We listen to episode number four in the car, and our kids, three, six, and nine-year-old, sat riveted to the pod, listening riveted to the podcast. We're looking forward to number five. Well, I hope you guys are listening to this, so... Uh, Hi to all your kids. By the way, the six-year-old put a vote in for past history on the dragon, Smog. Yeah, Smog is an important dragon, of course, in the story of The Hobbit. And uh, I will definitely touch upon the subject of dragons and their history in Middle-earth in one of the future episodes of The Secrets of uh, the Lord of the Rings. And then finally, Colin writes... I recently played one of the new quests in uh, Lord of the Rings Online that came into the game with Book 11, and it included a quest to catch Gollum in the Trollshaws. I wondered if he and a few of the other characters to be found in the game might make an interesting podcast about forgiveness and redemption. And then Colin gives some examples. This theme of redemption and forgiveness is woven into the story of Boromir, It's also part of Bilbo's relationship with Gollum and also between Frodo and this uh, terrible Lobelia Sackville Baggins. In the end, Frodo makes up with her and uh, kind of reconciles with Lobelia. Interesting. That's also a very good theme that we can talk about and another clear example of, I think, what is in its core a Christian theme but that Tolkien transposed and used in his stories about Middle-earth. Confounded old Samwise Gansey! Have you been eavesdropping? I haven't dropped no eaves, sir, honest. I raised voices. What did you hear? Speak! Nothing important. That is, I heard a good deal about a ring and a dark lord and something about the end of the world. Here is a very, very exciting email. It was sent to me by uh, Rolf, 
and Rolf forwarded me an article dated on December 18, and it announces that Peter Jackson, the director of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, is signed to make two Hobbit movies. Apparently, the Lord of the Rings director has settled a nasty lawsuit with uh, New Line Studio and has agreed to make not one, but two movies based on The Hobbit. Now, in a statement, Peter Jackson says, I am very pleased that we've been able to put our differences behind us so that we may begin a new chapter with our old friends at New Line. The Lord of the Rings is a legacy we proudly share with Bob and Michael, and together we share that legacy with millions of loyal fans all over the world. We are delighted to continue our journey through Middle-earth. Well, I am also delighted to hear that. That is so awesome. Of course, we all knew that the Hobbit movies were going to be made, but could you imagine someone else than Peter Jackson doing that movie? Absolutely impossible. So I'm so glad that they managed uh, to find a settlement and that uh, Peter Jackson is going to be at the helm of these two Hobbit movies. Um, They're going to start filming probably uh, in 2009, and the first movie will be in theaters in 2010, and then the second one in 2011. Now that is definitely something to look forward to. Greetings, traveler. Will you stay a moment? I will. And I actually want to tell you something about SQPN. SQPN is um, the abbreviation for the StarQuest Production Network, and that is the platform that I set up uh, about a a year ago to produce podcasts like this one. And currently, with SQPN, we are uh, having our annual uh, giving campaign. And that giving campaign is meant to, uh, to gather some funds to be able to continue this work next year. We're putting a lot of time and resources in the production of these podcasts and everything that we do at SQPN, and it's, it's pretty big. If you go to, uh, to sqpn.com, you will see countless podcasts and uh, we have a huge worldwide audience. But, you know, in order to be able to continue to do this, we totally rely on donations of our listeners, of our audience. Last year, our audience has made it possible to, to, to really work for SQPN for, for this year. And, uh, and this podcast is one of the fruits of that investment by, by our listeners. Uh, it was uh, their donations last year that made it possible for me to, uh, to work on these podcasts. So for this year, we invite you to participate uh, also in this uh, giving campaign. And, you know, really any donation is is welcome. Even if you only want to donate five bucks, you know, that would be wonderful. But you can also sign up for... uh, for uh, $5 a month, for instance. That's, uh, that's about uh, the price of one Starbucks coffee. So if you skip one coffee a month and uh, instead do a donation of $5 a month to SQPN, you, you would really help us out. But perhaps there are also people listening that really like this, uh, this apostolate and this, uh, this mission of reaching out to the, to the world, reaching out to the the popular culture around us and to the, the millions of people that, uh, you know, have no clue what uh, the Catholic faith is about, have, you know, or are, are, are really distant from, from the church, and that 
we are able to to reach with these podcasts. After all, we, we try to build a bridge um, between the world of faith and the world of popular culture and, and literature and art. And that is exactly what we do in this podcast. I kind of try to build a bridge between the world of Tolkien and, and this wonderful imaginary world of, of Middle Earth and the wonderful, uh, fascinating world of the Catholic faith and the, the biblical tradition. So if you appreciate that apostolate, if you want to support us in doing that and to do even more next year, and you can miss a little bit more, uh, you can also sign up for, let's say, $25 a month or even $50. Or, we have even listeners that uh, sign up for a $100 a month donation every, every month, and that is just fantastic. If you want to do that, you can go over to uh, the website sqpn.com, and there are several <laughs> links that will give you information on how to do that. You can use PayPal. You can also uh, send a check to our American uh, uh, SQPN uh, Foundation. You can even, if you live in Europe, use our European bank account. You know, any help is welcome. So if you appreciate what we do, if you love what we do, and you want to help us doing even more next year, um, look into your heart and consider a donation. Thank you in advance. I would be grateful for your assistance. It's time to wrap up this episode of The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. If you want to send me feedback, you can reach me either by going to the website at www.sqpn.com. You can post your comments on the blog there, but you can also send me an email and reach me at lordoftherings at sqpn.com. lordoftherings at sqpn.com. I hope you enjoyed this visit to Eret Luin to the Blue Mountains. It's getting very dark and very cold. It's time to uh, go home. See you later, and God bless. Bye-bye. I regret to announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. Bye-bye. SQPN. The best in Catholic podcasting.